heard about first century weddings, what was going on here, what would typically happen in the first century is that a, two dads would get together, they would sit down, they would see if they could agree on a dowry for the price of the bride. In those days, you had to pay for the bride. And uh, so they would have to agree upon a price. And if they couldn't agree, then the wedding would not take place. Once they agreed, they'd invite the, the, the lady in, the gal, the girl, and she would either say yes or she would say no. If it was a yes, they would write out a contract, how big the wedding was going to be, how much it was going to cost. And then the groom would go back, and uh, they would be considered legally betrothed, which could only be broken by actually by a divorce certificate. And they would go back, and the groom would prepare a place for his bride. Often he would build on an addition to the family house where a room for he and his bride, and that would often take about a year. And then at a given point in time, the groom would gather friends and they would gather torches and this would be a surprise to the bride. Now imagine this, ladies. This is your wedding and your groom is going to surprise you. Thus the stories where Jesus said, you know, the, uh, you know when the bridegroom comes, it's very important to be prepared and to be ready. And so the, the bride would have her dress all ready. She was prepared so that w- at whatever moment the bridegroom would come, she would be ready. He would come. Word would come to her house that the, the, the groom is on the way, and she would prepare herself and get ready. The groom would then take her back to, the, to his place, to his house, the place of celebration. There'd be a formal ceremony and then the two would take off and they would consummate the marriage and they would then come back and announce to the crowd uh, <clears throat> that they were now husband and wife, the marriage had been consummated and then they would begin about anywhere from four to seven days of celebration. And so this is the occasion and they're in the midst of this long celebration, perhaps a week long and they run out of wine. We see that Mary is there. We don't know if this was a relative of hers, but she seems to have some some significant part in it because she feels responsible for this tragedy of running out of wine, which was a very serious situation in a wedding of, of this nature. Mary comes to Jesus, and we're not positive what she expected. She comes to Jesus and said they're out of wine. Did, did she expect him to go buy it? Did, or did she expect that he would miraculously be able to do something? I tend to lead towards the latter. It just seems like the conversation is such that they're talking kind of in, in a supernatural realm here. Mary certainly knew there was something very unique and distinct about Jesus, this one who had grown up right in front of her. And so Jesus says, uses the word woman, and that word is a distancing word. It was intended to be. It's the kind of phrase in a very polite way that a guy says to a woman, you're not my mother. And so he says, woman, you know, and he basically says, you know, why are you involving me? My time has not yet come to be revealed. 
And so evidently Jesus was saying here that the time for the revelation of who he was in all of his power was, was not yet here. And yet Jesus here in this situation obviously uh, begins the process of revealing his glory in a very discreet way. It, it seems like only the servants really knew here what was going on. And so Jesus takes these six jars, 20 to 30 gallons, probably 150 gallons altogether, and when, when the wine is taken out, it is it's amazing because when the, it's, it's the best wine there was. And so the bridegroom, the master of the ceremonies here, is, is amazed. This is an amazing miracle. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, some of God's miracles are like God speeding up or slowing down the natural course of things, like when the sun stood still. Or when the storm was calm. These are things that are already in motion, already there. We find that God has the ability to speed, thing up, speed things up or slow them down. This is just an aside, but you know, for those who might argue for a young earth, the earth is only maybe you know, 10,000 years old. You know, could God speed up the process and make a billion-year-old mountain range in a minute? If God made the trees on the third day and the DNR showed up on the fourth day and cut one of them down, how many rings would it have? They would say, this tree is 60 years old. Look at it. God has the ability to, to do that. But this is something, this miracle is even more amazing than that. Because the servants, you know, that. they didn't go down to the local IGA and pick up some grape concentrate, throw it in, and, and then be amazed because it had grown to be like that of aged wine in just a few few moments. This is water. This is water that is sitting here. You could let that water sit for 10,000 years and it would never become wine. And so in John 1, it says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then notice this phrase. It says, all things were made through him. All things. John 1, 1 through 3. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now in chapter 2, Jesus is making, out of water, he's making wine. He is making something out of nothing. There were no grapes there. Jesus spoke the word, and something that did not exist in that water came into being. And so this is a, an amazing thing that happens. Again, the wine is brought, and the master of the, who is in charge is, is amazed. So that's the story. What do we learn about being the body of Christ in our community from this story? Does this mean we should give out bottles of aged wine to our newcomers? Does, uh, you know, does this mean we should hold longer wedding receptions? What is it that's going on here? Or is, is this just an event? And, you know, is it just an event? And, and Jesus looked at the event and said, well, they need wine. I'll make some wine. Or is there something deeper going on uh, in this story? I think there's something very deep going on in this story. 
Let's just take a moment and just jump back. Joel, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 18. In that day, the mountains will drip with new wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the ravines of Judah will run with water. He's talking about a day that's coming when, as a, as a show of God's abundance that is going to come, the day is coming when the mountains will drip with new wine. Amos chapter 9, verse 13. It says, I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. And then Jesus comes along in John 10, 10 and says, Thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So what's the truth here? The truth is this, that the Jesus we know and the Jesus that we are called to proclaim to this community is a Jesus that came to bring us great abundance. That's the message. As John tells us, he came to bring us life and life to the full. And so early on in Jesus' ministry, he shows up at this place of celebration, this place of joy, and, and what we find here is that there's going to be no cheap wine and there's going to be plenty of it. Jesus is neither cheap nor stingy. Don't miss the details of the story. Just some observations. Number one, notice that what the people thought was enough wasn't enough. People thought they had enough, but they, they ran out. Jesus is able in this situation and willing to provide what was lacking. In fact, number three, what he offers is better than our best. guy said, man, this, this, this is better than the stuff we had in the beginning. I'm kind of surprised he didn't give us the good stuff in the beginning. Well, they gave them the best they had in the beginning. It's just that Jesus' stuff is better. And don't think the little detail is not put in there for a purpose. How full did they fill those jars? They filled them to the brim. They filled them as full as you could get it without it running out. And so this is the message that we receive as God's people. This is the message that we're called to share as God's people. And that is that God is a God of abundance, that that is a God who is a God of generosity. He is a, a God who wants to bless and is able to do so, to give us life to the brim, as it were. So let me ask the question. I think it's, is this supported by other teaching in the New Testament. Is this supported by other teaching in the New Testament? Well, there are, are many passages. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become what? Rich. So, say it with me this morning. I hate when people do this, but I'm going to do it to you anyway. Say with me, I am rich. I am rich. 
Okay, whenever I put up my hand, I want you to say that. So, here it is. You may not have much in your retirement account, but guess what? You may not have much in your house. In fact, you may owe more than it's worth, but guess what? You may have a low-paying job without room for advancement, but what does the Bible say? In fact, you may not have a job right now. You may be unemployed here today. But even so, what does the word say? I am rich. I am rich. Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good? In fact, he says in Luke, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, Jesus is not talking about wine here. He's not talking any more about wine than, than he was talking about bread when he chastised the people in his day. He said, you know what? He looked at the crowds because they were following him around the lake to get to the other side. He said, you know why you're following me? Because you're looking for bread. You're looking for bread. I, this isn't about bread. Jesus said, I am the bread. I've come here to give you so much more than a loaf of bread. This isn't about bread. This is about me. This is about reigning with me. This is about my glory. This is about uh, becoming one with me. This is about a wedding between you and me. This is so much bigger than a loaf of bread. This is not, the story is not about wine. Jesus said, I am the new wine. Just like he said, I am the bread, and the old wineskins can't contain me. Ephesians 1, verse 7 and 8, he talks about the riches of, of God's grace that he has, notice the word there, lavished on us. That he has lavished on us. I mean, you read, that's, that's in the context of chapter 1 of Ephesians. I mean, you talk about, you know, if you think that God is stingy because God hasn't given you something temporal that you want, you need to get your eyes on the abundance that God has blessed you. Chapter 1. Chapter 2, chapter 3, spend some time in the book of Ephesians. God has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us hope, and he's given us inheritance, and he's given us power. Then you move into chapter 2. He says, you were dead, and now you're alive. He says, you were under God's wrath, and now you're under God's grace. You were a foreigner, and now you're a citizen. You were a dead stone, and now you're a living stone in whom God, being built into a temple, in whom God dwells by his Spirit. Ephesians 3, 19 and 20 is what it says. Ephesians 3, 19 and 20. He prays that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled Listen to this, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. That means that you can't even measure. You can't even, it's so vast you can't even measure what God is going to give you. And you can't even ask or imagine what God is going to give you. Jesus came to bring us abundance. 
This is our God. This is our Savior. This is the one who walks into our lives when what we thought was enough is not enough. This is a God who gives us better than our best. This is our God who fills it to the brim. This is the God that we know, and this is the God that we invite our community to know. A God who came to bless beyond what people could imagine. God wanted to bless them. That's the message of the church. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning, and we're going to pray together as we come to conclusion. Father, we begin this first story. The story of the Canaan wedding. And Lord, we, we understand this is not about wine. It's about something far, far greater than wine. This is about a little metaphor here that's done in Cana to demonstrate that you are this one who came you are this one of abundance that was prophesied. You have come to fill us up. You have come to go beyond what we could ever do ourselves. You are the God of abundance and fullness. So, Father, help us to experience that message. Help us to share that message with the world around us. That you are a God great generosity, that you are a God of great abundance. And Lord, for that today, we give you praise. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that all that we have and all that we could hope for comes through simple trust in Jesus Christ. That all of these riches are lavished on us through Christ. Not because we do what Jesus would do, but because of what you did for us. So, Father, we are just grateful today. May your blessing be upon us as we go out into our world this week. Make us mindful of how privileged we are, of how blessed we are, and that we are called to share this message with our community. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name.